Dear Church Podcast. Can any of you guys think of an individual in your life who really took you under their wing at a particular time, maybe uh, young in your spiritual walk or whatever? Not talking about Bible college, not talking about Christian education. An individual who forged a relationship with you um, with the direct intent of helping you develop spiritually and developing your walk with God. I think all of us have. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. And that person yeah, can be I a can. preacher. I mean, I'm not saying it can't be a preacher, but but that that's just the, the question that's on my mind. Is that how you define defi- discipleship? Well, I think that partially, yes. I think the, the conversation is bigger than that. But to have someone who takes you under their wing or takes you into, who works hard, works to have a relationship with you to the extent that it edifies you. And that's their purpose of it as well. I'm just surprised you agreed with me so quickly. <laughs> oh, are you saying we don't need to go any further? The podcast is over. <laughs> Pretty much. That's cool. So you're kind of talking about it's it's more than just someone who's preached at you. It's someone who has spent time in their life with you outside yes. of the pulpit. Yes. There was, there's, an, of course, the verse in the Bible where Paul said, thou hast fully known. And he lists all of those different things. And I think that that is... That's discipleship. I mean, the Apostle Paul being the ultimate example of that, it seems, in Scripture outside of Christ, um, is someone who had the capacity to go in and obviously under the under the the power of God, obviously being under that, um, he goes in, he f- he forges out a ministry and he trains people and then leaves, and they go on in their faith. I mean, that to me, reading that in the New Testament, it's mind blowing at times to see what God allowed him to do. We underestimate the Holy Spirit, don't we? I think so. Far too often. Let me throw this out there as a question for you guys. I have my my answer to it. Is there a difference between discipleship and mentorship? Yeah, there's a difference between mentorship and discipleship because you can mentor someone in anything. But there are elements that are the same because discipleship is mentoring someone in the faith. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I think you're being a little too... Um, Yes, I agree with you. At, at, at the root, I agree with you. But I think discipleship is like a milder form of mentorship or mentorship is a more intensive form of discipleship. I think they're more closely related. I don't think they're just sort of related. I think I think the one actually should be the other. I think discipleship should be mentorship. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think so a lot of it's going to depend on who gives the definition. I'm sorry. Say again. I think a lot of it will depend on who gives the definition. And so I could argue that I think mentorship and discipleship are two sides of the same coin. Yeah. 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 We I think so. Maybe not. That, that, would be, that would be my answer is that they're similar enough that you can use them interchangeably and you could nuance one, one way and one the other way. And, you know, like brother Russ, I mean, you basically took mentorship and, pulled it out of the context of within a church setting, you know, cause that word can be used that way. And, you know, I guess in a very broad sense, discipleship could be used outside of a church setting too, even though normally we wouldn't do that. I right. remember the first time I heard the word discipleship, I think it was, I shouldn't say the first time I heard it. The first time the concept registered with me was um, at one of Paul Chapel's meetings. And 
you know, I had grown up in independent Baptist churches and gone to schools and colleges, and it was never even brought up, not even in a negative sense. It wasn't even laughed at. It just wasn't brought up at all. And I'm sitting there in a training session, and he starts explaining what they're doing, and this light bulb goes off in my mind like, this is an awesome thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I started incorporating it immediately, and I've used it for many, many years. But one of the reasons I think I was so receptive to it is because I had had mentors in my life. Um, and so the term discipleship wasn't used, but I understood the value of having someone who personally has has built a close relationship with me, who I take my questions to, I take my problems to, I take my concerns to, I take my ideas to. Um, and it's not that I didn't need church. It's that they put some skin on all of those things and helped me where I was at over a continual period of time and changed my life in the process. Well, you bring up one of the the big complaints of fundamentalism is that we're really good at reaching people. And this is the complaint that we're really bad at training them to grow in their faith because we're so heavily emphasizing evangelism that we don't emphasize at all spiritual growth. And that, that kind of speaks to what you experienced, as you mentioned, 25 years ago or however long ago it was, that it wasn't even a conversation. What do you it think the case is right. now? I mean, wh- how, how are we now versus them? I think I think we're, when I say we, I'm talking about our kind of what would be labeled conservative independent Baptist churches. I think by and large from my from my acquaintanceship, and it's pretty broad, I think we're much stronger than we used to be. We've taken that same evangelism, and it's not that we're weaker in those things uh, necessarily, but we've added to it this idea of taking these people that we've led to Christ who are coming to church and spending personal time with them over a cup of coffee and an open Bible and not leaving out church or any of that, but spent, but adding in this, this, let me come alongside of you in your Christian walk as a young convert and let me help show you some things from the Bible, answer your questions, build a relationship with you. I think it's made stronger churches by building stronger Christians faster. I think we're better in that area than we were 25 years ago. Well, don't you think there, there was kind of that, the, the old, uh, the old saying is the mystique mistake, right? Like we kept such a barrier up uh, between individuals. We didn't promote a lot of fellowship. We didn't promote uh, a lot of discipleship because we wanted to have that, that kind of um, aura, if you but will. I think, a lo- I think a lot of that is generational. That was what that yes. generation Yes. said and taught and practiced. Brother Brudneck, wouldn't you agree with that, that, you know, that, that, that older generation of fundamentalists were very much remote and removed, you know, sort of listen yes. to me, but don't engage with me? Oh, yeah, definitely. But I don't think that was a good thing. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You were saying this kind of a, you think it was a cultural thing as well in that that generation didn't as often engage in the way that we're talking about now, not just in, in Christian terms, but Across the board? Yeah, because, you know, so for example, I mean, I can remember hearing, you know, men with big churches and ministries preach about, you know, you should always wear a suit and tie, you know, even at the breakfast table. It's that, it's that, that mindset of being, of of almost forbidding and distant. You know, if you're going to see me make an appointment, you know, if you're going to, that whole sense of spending time with someone casually was looked down upon as if fellowship was the breeding ground for criticism and disenchantment and church splits. When in reality, fellowship, you know, discipleship is a stronger form of fellowship. It, mentorship is a stronger form of discipleship. It, it, yeah. It's one life pouring into another life. I think someone said a moment ago, maybe you were the brother, which I think is just a, a good, a good understanding of it. Yeah, that's my definition of discipleship is life transfer, one life affecting another life. And that's where, to me, a church having a discipleship time uh, 
where one-on-one Bible study is going on. That's a that's a great incubator for discipleship to happen, but that in and of itself isn't discipleship as much as one life being poured into another life. And I think we we should never minimize the importance of dialogue. I think that's that's how people grow. They can ask honest questions and I think an atmosphere where honest questions can't be asked. I don't think discipleship's gonna sure. you know, happen that much. And I think yeah, you see some of that too in the online world with the older generation refusal to engage online. It's another I mean it's not like they're refusing discipleship, but it's another indication of that same sense of listen to me, but don't talk to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how I perceive it. And of course I'm not even as young as, as many of the younger men, but that's how I perceive that. Yeah, without without getting into the weeds on that, I don't know if I perceive every man who doesn't engage online as actually being that way in real life. I know one preacher who's the opposite in real life, but he just doesn't have time for Twitter critics. And he gets accused of that all the time. And I'm like, yeah, but if you knew him, like he's one of the most approachable people and he'll actually invest in you. Um, But that's that's neither here nor there as to the as to the conversation of discipleship, I guess. For the Wiggins? One of the most impactful books that I've read um, was called The Invested Life by Randy Alcorn. And I like that whole idea that when you're discipling someone, you are investing your life in them. And so it means time, it means energy, it means emotional engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, you you welcome investment into your life. And this is something we've talked about before. And, and I know, Steve, you've expressed it well, that somebody has to want to be discipled. It's not all from one direction. Um, somebody has to be willing to learn and have a desire to be taught. So let's yes. talk about that, if you don't mind. I, I didn't mean to cut you off there, Steve, if you need to finish your thought. No, go ahead. Okay. Let's talk about then the practical. We're all pastors. So what does it look like, practically speaking, to begin uh, fostering or cultivating a culture of, of discipleship in our churches, because that's where it starts. That's obviously where, where the, the, the foundation of discipleship is, is in the church. And going from there, you know, there's a lot of different people. Um, uh, Tom, you mentioned Paul Chapel, and what he has had to say about discipleship has been very good. We've used his material. Um, John Wilkerson has been, honestly, I think he lives it better than anyone I know. Hmm. Um, I've, I've talked to him on a number of occasions. I've seen him at meetings. I've had him preach for me down here and he says, Hey, I'm going to take care of the hotel or I'm going to do this, but I'm going to bring a guy with me. And I'm like, Oh, it's like a staff member. No, it's literally someone he led to Christ Mm -hmm. and someone that he's just bringing along with him and he'll bring two or three men. He'll bring one of his sons and, and all that, you know, but that, that is actually doing that. I think one of the things we have to establish at the beginning is that discipleship is literally work. It is down and dirty hands in the mud work and you can't escape that you can't you can't systematize discipleship in your church to ever get rid of that element it's always going to be so interpersonal and always always work so let me try to answer what what i've tried to do here coming to this church in iowa it's it's different to take a church a mature church as a mature man you know, there's much that my predecessor did that I'm trying to build on. But one of the things that we're doing differently is is I did institute discipleship. And what I mean by that in our church context, in a church that didn't do it before. So I don't start with the heavy side of mentorship. I start with the lighter side of discipleship. So I've written seven or eight lessons that are designed to be used in a one-on-one setting over a cup of coffee. 
between an experienced Christian and a young convert. It covers salvation, baptism, going to church, reading the Bible, tithing, praying and witnessing. It covers those basic things. And the idea is to give them a basic understanding of these things and make sure that they they grasp what, what they mean when they're referenced in preaching and teaching. But it's also to build an initial relationship between a brand new Christian and an experienced Christian of the church besides just the pastor. And I've done this probably with 50 or 60 people in the past 10 years. Um, but then you can then transfer that whole idea of taking and getting a, mat- a mature Christian personally invested in the life of a young convert. And now I've had some ladies, you know, attend classes on counseling so that they can, you know, do those sorts of things and, and underta- undertake some more difficult you know, situations where they're spending time again, a one-on-one with someone trying to help them unpack certain things. I think it's a, it's a, I don't know if timeline is the right word. It's a process. You're going somewhere, but it's the idea of, of ministering to one another in a very personal way, a very specific way, not a way that minimizes church or leaves out church, but adds to it. I think that relational element is important in that it takes away the tendency that we can sometimes have to see someone as a project. They're, they're not a project, they're a friend, you're discipling them, and it's it's going to be one day, hopefully it gets to be reciprocal, where I think they grow in grace and knowledge, and then they can be a blessing to you. Um, but that, that relational element, I think, makes a big difference. Yeah, and I think that is, if, if you want to cultivate discipleship, as far as being a discipler is you have to open up your yourself to people, <laughs> you know, in other words, it's not just studying with someone, but it's letting them into your life. Absolutely. And, you know, allowing yourself to build a friend. I don't know how you can disciple someone where you don't have you know, I think, a level of friendship with them. I think it's curious that the churches that are strong on discipleship or pastors are also churches that are strong on hospitality. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you, mm-hmm. ha, the best discipleship that I do is not necessarily sitting down with a Bible study with someone. It's building a fire in my backyard and inviting a guy over and just talking with him for 60 minutes, 90 minutes, two hours, just talking through what's on his heart and his mind, his life. I have pastors all the time. They, I don't travel much, but they drive through Iowa and they'll say, can I see you? And I'll say, sure, come over to the house. Let's have dinner together. Let's sit by the fire together. Let's talk. And you build a relationship with them and you and you seek to minister to them in it. Um, hospitality is when you open up your life, your home, your, 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 the, the private part of you, the part that is the most relaxed and the most informal and in some ways the most genuine. And I think that pairs really well with trying to, as you said, Brother Brednack, pour your life into someone else's. Yeah. And one of the biblical texts that I go to in my mind about discipleship is John 15 and you think about what Jesus is teaching there. He's saying abide. And if you're going to abide with somebody, you're hanging out with them, you're walking with them. And it's no accident that in that very passage, he says, you know, you are my friends, you know, and the disciples, you know, and he even gives the, you know, verse 16, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. And that word remain, of course, is the idea of abide. And I think he was saying, hey, you, I opened myself up, you, you, you abode with me, and now you do that with other people. And I love the fact that in John 15, twice, Jesus says, hey, and if you need something in the process of this, just ask me. 
Hmm. And that's that's one of the things that I teach our church on prayer. It's like we're trying to do this and impact lives. And God says, if in the process you're doing that, you need something you don't have just to ask me. And I think he provides it. I just read a biography of Jeff Bezos. um, And he developed the concept about 15, 20 years ago of a shadow. That's what he called it. And this person just followed their job was just to follow him around all the time. And um, of course, the guy who currently runs Amazon was at one point one of those shadows, but it's not a business thing. It's a biblical thing. I mean, what mm-hmm. was Elijah and Elisha? What was Moses and Joshua? What was, right. um, you know, Paul and Timothy? What was Jesus and the apostles? It's that whole concept of, of, of spending time with someone, not just in a formal setting of a classroom or, a, or an auditorium, but spending time with that person and, and sharing their life with them and, and pouring your life into theirs. Um, that I think builds builds solid people. I think your example of Paul and Timothy is the most common one in the text where Paul told Timothy, he said, thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, yeah. my purpose, yeah, my faith, good. my long suffering, my charity, my patience, my persecutions and afflictions. And to stop and think of the fact that Timothy would have possibly witnessed the apostle Paul being stoned to death and then get back up and go to work. Um, he would have seen how that people were difficult, but yet, as Paul said to the, the Thessalonian church, I was gentle to you. Uh, he would have seen all of those different things and realized that, okay, I see this is more than just a job to Paul. This is a life. And Steve, I wrote your quote down here, discipleship is life transfer, because I'm going to transfer that quote to our church people. Um, I think if we could maybe even move the conversation this way, this would help me today. You know, how do you how do you build that culture beyond yourself in the church? I understand discipling people and and one on one or in a group or in a class or whatever those things are. And we can talk about that. I think it'd be good to talk about structure. That's fine. But I think the big issue that pastors have is that we struggle to build it beyond us to where it continues on. And it's not just what the pastor does. It's what the church as a whole does. Does that question resonate with you guys? Does it make sense? Yeah, I think some of the answer, and I'm not sure I have a good answer for you, but as I'm listening yeah. to you ask it, yeah. I'm thinking of how I've tried to, to develop that sort of culture in the churches I've pastored, is going to a man or a woman and, and saying to the man, okay, so here's someone in the church that has a problem that I think your life you have dealt with very well. Would you spend some time with them? Would you take them out to lunch? I'll be happy to pay for that. You know, would you sit down with them, you know, at Starbucks over a cup of coffee? And would you listen to them? And would you just give them your counsel, your perspective? I'm all the time, matchmaking is not the right word, right? But I'm all the time trying to connect people in church who are, you know, I got a guy who's struggling with pornography and I got a guy who's overcome it. Well, I'm going to put those two together. You know, I I have a a lady who's struggling with a relationship with her marriage and I have a a lady who, you know, she lived struggles in her marriage 20 years ago and overcame it. I'm going to put those two together. And I think some of that is when you're intentionally doing that, not as a formal ministry, just trying to connect the body of Christ in a way to minister to each other. I think then people begin to, to, to look for that opportunity on their own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about though. How, how long does that take? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, I think when you look at second Timothy two, two, when he talks about these things that you've, you know, learned of me, commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And you've got four generations in there. So you've got Paul who commits to Timothy, who commits to others, who can commit to others also. And I think a big part of that has to be philosophical 
in yeah. that you you teach the church. I, as the pastor, I'm not the only one that can do this. You know, yeah. we we hold an office. We we have to be gifted and qualified. But in terms of edifying one another, uh, you know, Romans fifteen sixteen, um, Paul commended the Romans because he said, "This is something you're able to do. You're able to exhort one another." And so I think philosophically, you have to purposefully say to the church, you know, you can edify each other, you can build each other up, um, and and then you you have to take practical, systematical steps towards making sure people are are capable. But I think it's giving them permission, almost not not permission in the sense that they need our permission, but in telling them, look, you can do this, you are able. Well, yeah, not, just, not just that you're able, but it's also as a pastor equipping those people who are able to be more able. Do you understand what I mean? It, it, it's taking someone who has life experience, and they've walked with the Lord for 30 years, and and giving them, here, go read these couple of books. They will they will make you better at this, or they will give right. you more information that you can transfer. It's it, it's it's edifying the, the discipler or the mentor to the place where it's not just their desire to mentor or disciple – that is useful, but actually, and not just their own instinctive perception, but that they have a, a, a you know, a quiver full of arrows or a, a toolbox to use a different metaphor that they can go to, to work with this person or these people about these, these subjects and tools. I think we ought to always be equipping our people better for ministering to other people. I've always found it interesting that right after Paul tells Timothy, to do what you just said, Martin, which is to commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. The very next verse says, endure hardness as a good soldier. <laughs> that that's This is, in theory, a phenomenal, like you said the first time you heard it articulated well, Tom, uh, it was like, oh, this is a phenomenal idea and I'm going to implement it. But implementing it is hardness. I mean, it is difficulty because you are forcing yourself even into a position of vulnerability. Wouldn't you agree? I have vulnerability on my list of the costs of discipleship. You haven't looked at my notes. So and yes, that, I completely agree with you. That really ties into one of my struggles in this area. And that is my biggest frustrations in, in pastoring is getting sucked into trying to make someone a disciple that doesn't want to be. It's like they have not a heart or a zeal to be committed to to learning something and then right. hoping that, you know, and, and there's, there's gotta be a, a balance in that in the sense that people that are at that stage shouldn't totally be ignored, but you cannot, you know, Jesus, Jesus didn't, his ministry wasn't trying to suck everyone into mm -hmm. what his message was. It was many times, Oh, you're going away. Are you going to also go away? You know, and if you don't do this, you're not fit to be my disciple. Um, and sometimes, you know, we can get that hardness to us where it's like, well, if you don't want to be discipled, because I firmly believe a lot of it does fall on the disciple to chase down someone to say, hey, I want to learn from you. But but I don't totally believe, you know, I'm it's a it's part I, I of it. I understand. That. Yeah. Yeah, it well, is I, part of it. Yeah, you 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 both are right, and I think this goes back to the verse that Martin just quoted a minute ago. The same commit thou to what kind of men? What's the adjective there? Faithful. All right. So if you're yeah. not faithful, I don't care what else you are. If you're not faithful, I can't build you 
And, and, mm-hmm. and as pastors, and this doesn't only apply to pastors, but all four of us understand this instinctively. It doesn't matter how gifted someone is, how willing they are to do something, how teachable they are. If they're not, if they don't, if they're not faithful, you cannot build them. Um, they have got to be faithful. And uh, I, I think part of that is their decision as a discipler to make themselves investable. I'm just going to keep showing up. God, God directs us to invest in people like that. So in a church setting, developing the culture and furthering this within our, our church bodies, should the approach be organic? Should it be, yeah, we have discipleship material and we teach on it from the pulpit and here's the material or here's what you're supposed to, here's the instruction, maybe not material, or should it be more organized? I mean, a lot of, I think as your church grows, it, it becomes almost necessary to structure it. And I don't want to structure the, the, the feeling out of it. I don't want to structure the, yeah. the heart out of it, you know? Yeah. Um, I think it has to be a little of both, but you know, what are some things that we can do and that we could add to this conversation in that, in that realm? How has your church, you know, you spoke of how John Wilkerson has helped you with the concept, whether you think you're doing well at it or not. I don't think I'm doing well at it, but as your church has grown, mm-hmm. how has your approach to that shifted or maybe I should ask it this way. If you were just going to ideally say, this is what I wish we could do. Yeah. How is that different now with the size your church is versus 10 years ago? Do you understand yeah, what I'm I, saying? I do. Um, we were doing it pretty well for a startup. I mean, we were starting up the idea of discipleship. COVID really derailed us. Yeah. And then it's been on me to do better. And that's where I'm, I'm, we're actually working at restructuring a lot of it now. I think I wish that we could have a hybrid of both structure and uh, organic relational approach from within the body. We have some former missionaries in our church who are fantastic. They don't always stick with a, um, a curriculum and discipleship, by the way, is not a curriculum. It's not a 15 Mm -hmm. week series. Mm -hmm. It's not, Mm -hmm. you know, we understand that, Mm -hmm. but they don't always stick with that. They use it but they invite people to their home. I mean, they get people in to, to lunch. They had 14 people at, 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 uh, at lunch just this past Sunday. Now they're in a position to do that. They don't have kids in the home. They're retired in a sense. Uh, and they're, they're not retired from serving the Lord. And so I wish we had about five more of them. I did have a couple. Go ahead. I don't want to cut you off. No, I I had a couple come to me the other day and said, Hey, we're, we're going to be another family. Like they are. They said that to me. I was like, okay, that's phenomenal. So it's happening. I also wish that we could be more structured. I wish I could teach. Uh, right now, I teach a Sunday school class. I love my Sunday school class. It's young adults. We, we, we have a great class. But I wish I, I wasn't teaching that class so that I could teach a month of discipleship, four right. lessons, a month of new members, and have a month off. So why, why, why can't you, and this is, I guess, a different question. I interrupted you with a minute ago. Uh-huh. Why can't you do that? Why can't you say, this is my class, but for a month, I'm going to bring in Deacon Brother Bob, who's really good. Mm-hmm. He's going to teach this class while I go do something else for a month. I'm going to do this discipleship thing, try to get this launched. Or the other idea I was going to throw back at you in response was, so let's take this former missionary, retired missionary, who wonderfully is serving the Lord where they're at. Mm -hmm. You know, go to them and say, you know, this is my heart. This is my desire for our church to see it grow here. How about let's make this a ministry and make you in charge of it? And let's talk through what that would look like and how we would develop that and and so much of ministry is not a pastor starting one. 
It's yeah. finding the person in the church who has that burden, has that calling, has that gifting, and just facilitating them to turn it into a ministry. Right. It yeah. sounds and to me like you got a guy that could do that. And we have a lot of that already going, which is good. Um, I, my class is another logistical thing that I'm working through. I, I, I understand. Um, but, it, but no, I mean, it, it's it's going it's going well in that regard. So I, I guess I don't have a lot to complain about. I'm just looking for ways to improve and then to multiply. You know, I, I want to I want to see it go beyond the people who are doing it to others, who, to others who will teach others also. And that's just good old hard, hard work, I think. <laughs> that's what when it comes back of, to a lot of times. When I think of great ideas, my, the first thing that comes to my mind is always Martin Wickens. So I'm quite sure that he's got a phenomenal idea here that he's <laughs> he's about to spring upon the world. <laughs> Come on, Martin. Uh, I don't think so. No, I, I was just going to say that um, there, there does have to be an element of organization to it. And so... You know, you have to know who's in your church. You have to know who is at a stage that needs to be discipled. So you, you've got to have a degree. It can't be completely organic that you just kind of let it let it happen. But you need to know who's able, who's capable, who's willing. And I think that's maybe as you you train up, you know, whatever the size of your church may be, you make sure um, there are, you know, let's say three guys and you get them 100% where they need to be and they have your heart, they know your method, your material, and then those three men take three men or, you know, three women take three women. And I think that's where you tailor it for your church. You tailor it for the size of the ministry you're in. And it may just start out with one takes another one and then that one takes another one. And it kind of in that kind of pyramid sense, it just grows and grows. Yeah. yeah. You talk a uh, lot, Brother Wickens, about the pastor that ministered to you so much from Georgia. He comes up in almost every conversation that I have with you. He, 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 to go back to Brother Brednack's race, he changed your life. Yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, I didn't realize I was being discipled at the time, which in hindsight is because it was just life on life. And a lot of that started because I was such a problem child in school. My, <laughs> my teachers would send me to the principal and I'd go to his office and I can just imagine now, like from my perspective, well, he was always more gracious to me, so maybe not, but he'd get that knock on the door and it's the teacher with little Martin again and just rolling his eyes like, <laughs> what on earth this time? And um, and he would just sit, he would explain to me from the Bible how I was wrong, how to put it right, how to stay right. I mean, um, you know, it really was life on life to the to the degree that I didn't even realize it was discipleship until much later on. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I had a guy in in high school and college, both two different men, who just poured their life into me. Um, I didn't need the, you know, the classic, you know, basic education and here's what salvation and baptism is. Growing up as a pastor's kid, but I needed somebody to come alongside of my life, um, and uh, I needed someone to pour into me, mm-hmm. to speak to me, and God brought those men to me. And they're still, I think of them. It's incredible how often I think of them. Right. One of them I just dedicated my last book to, um, it, how much they they impact me now, decades after I've spent time with them. You know, they're still speaking through me and, and living through me and working through me and helping other people through me and ministering through me. Um, I'm tearing up just thinking about them. They're phenomenal. Yeah. I think I was thinking as we were, we've been talking today, David Moore is another one who, another one of my pastors when I was in Bible college. And again, it was a formal teaching that he gave me, 
but also it was outside of the pulpit. I remember one Sunday he put, well, one, it was the Monday he came to my house and he said, um, Hey, we're going to go out. And I was like, okay. So I got in the car with him. We started driving and he'd noticed the day before when I was sat in church that my shoes had holes in them. And I had like plastic bags wrapped around my feet, put in my shoes. So my feet didn't get Mm -hmm. wet in the rain. Mm -hmm. So he drove me, uh, to a shoe store and bought me a pair of shoes. Um, but along the way we talked about, you know, how churches provide for pastors and finances. And, And again, it was just life on life. And, um, you know, those men really made a, a big difference to me. Discipleship costs. It costs, you know, Brother Russ, you used the word vulnerability. It costs that. It costs time. It costs hard work. Mm-hmm. You've talked about that. It costs thought and preparation. It costs getting your heart involved with someone else who might turn around, you know, and go off the rails. Um, mm-hmm. it, it It is a great cost, but everything worthwhile in life costs. And the more it costs, the more yeah. worthwhile it is. I talked to a missionary not too long ago. He was a missionary in Africa for years, um, had to come home. His heart's bad. But he said he trained 144 national pastors. That is that is huge, obviously. He said, I've trained 144 national pastors. He said, 12 of them tried to kill me, which Whoa. is amazing because that's one out of 12. <laughs> yeah, it's the same, same percentage as Jesus. Huh? Yeah, yeah. And he said, yeah. he said, I'm not kidding. Like, these guys tried to have me put in jail, tried to run my ministry. I've been, you know, they tried to, they literally tried to kill me. And he said that there's one in every 12 and we have to, we have to agree. We have to come to grips with that and be gracious to all men. Um, even the ones that may not turn out to be our friends at the end of the day. Uh, I, I'm thankful that, that I've been able, I feel like I've been able to do what you guys are talking about, spend time and invest in as just kind of, um, a, uh, life to life kind of transfer. I feel like it's harder for me to do that with people who are older than me as a young pastor. That'll fade. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to figure out how to overcome it right now. You know? Oh yeah. Um, so, well, God, God does call you an elder. So Amen. there you go. Um, and, and I think that word fits a pastor and sometimes are given wisdom beyond their years. Mm-hmm. And I, I think something you just said, brother Russ is very important. And that is, if you're listening and you've tried discipling someone and you're not even a pastor, or maybe you're a pastor, you're not going to ever hit a hundred percent and don't let the bad experiences stop you from having a heart to help people or to get yeah. cynical. Cause you know, Paul had his Demases, you know, Christ's disciples, he had his Judas and he was the perfect discipler. He was perfect in every yeah. way. Yeah. And, um, that, that's a great reminder. It's something it's something I think we stumbled upon and it came to my own mind on a question I asked earlier, because I do I do sometimes for, I look back many times and I think, man, I worked so hard to try to draw that person in when I should have just went on. To, you know, and it's not that I don't care about that person, but you can't you can't right. force discipleship upon somebody. Yeah. And that, and that is so true. And, and people who have done it successfully have even told me that that you cannot disciple everyone. Everyone is not a candidate. Um, I was talking to, talking to you guys about John Wilkerson and his philosophy is he has, you know, levels one, two, three, and four. Um, but level one is basic. If they don't, if they don't show commitment in level one, then they may not go to level two, level three, level four. Um, and the reason for that is just not because you don't, you don't want to invest in them. It's it's they have to, like you said, Steve. They have to seek that out. They have to passionately pursue Christ as well. Um, and uh, and boy, it'd, it'd be wonderful if all of our 
all of our candidates for discipleship were like little birds with their mouths open, you know, waiting to be fed, but that's simply not the case uh, all the time. So, you know, I found that this may be something that I, I've, I know a pastor who he started a church in California and it never, never grew to be a large, large work, but it was a significant work. And I, I asked him one time, you know, I said, what, what are some things that you do? And, and he said, uh, and I asked him specifically how many he, how many people he discipled. He said, 15 a week. I went, whoa. I mean, that was mind blowing. I found in my position that I can do two. I mean, I can, I can take two people and I can meet with them every week. But here's the thing. I want to grow beyond that, but I, I should do two as opposed to none. Does that make sense? Yeah, I agree with that. But I also think that everybody has strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, the guys who are really good at discipling are not good at preaching. Right. And that sounds really harsh. And I, I hope that clip doesn't get taken and thrown around. Um, I think you just threw shade on your preaching, brother. <laughs> well, I'm the exception, brother, but that obviously Ouch. I'm bad at both of them. Um, I, But I think that you, if you shouldn't measure yourself against that brother in California. Right. You know, it, it's what does God want me to do? How can I grow in this area? How can I deepen in this area? Growth is not always more. Right. Growth is often better um, mm. or deeper. Yeah. Um, more well, I think I think that was my point that I'm impressed by my friend's capacity to disciple 15 people a week. I think I can do two. <laughs> and I'm not going to not do two because someone else does 15. Good. Good. So don't don't be discouraged if you're not where someone else is in this realm. Just make sure that you're 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 looking forward and you're progressing and you're growing and and you're pushing yourself. You know, that's where that verse comes into play. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ is that it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult, but that doesn't mean I stop doing it. That doesn't mean I avoid it at all cost. It's so rewarding though. Just yeah. last year, I think it was last year, I made a rare exception for myself and I traveled. Someone invited me to preach. I almost always turn those down. And this was a guy who asked me to do his ordination and I had, I had worked with him some, um, not a member of my church, a member of another brother's church. And, um, just had worked with him some. And so I, I did the difficult thing for me, which was to travel and, and speak at his ordination. And, and I'm so glad I did. It was such a rewarding experience mm. to be on that side of it. And of course, his ministry is just beginning. It's not ending. But but to feel like you've you've helped somebody to listen as they're talking and hear things you've taught them come out of their mouth, not because they haven't thought it through, but because they've taken ownership of it. That's a phenomenal experience. Just mm. just wonderful. Absolutely. I've been trying to think of uh, when, was it John who spoke about um, his children in the faith and the joy that it gave him? Yeah, no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Right, right. I've been trying to think of the reference, but uh, yeah, that's exactly it. You know, it's that joy of seeing others grow in grace and knowledge and, and even excel you and yesterday i was i've been preaching through gospel according to uh, gospel according to acts all right it's been a long day um (laughs) (laughs) preaching through acts and there's a transition in acts 13 where it goes from being barnabas and saul to paul and his company and so at some point barnabas looks and says you know what's you know saul paul 
you need to take the lead on this. You know, I'm, I'm going to step aside and I want you to step up. And from that point forward, it very much focuses on Paul. And so I think there was a moment there for Barnabas to look and say, you know what, I've had input into his life, but now it's time for him to go on to the next, you know, the next stage of service or whatever it may be. And, and that is a joy, you know, and that's, uh, that's a good thing. And of course, your, your preaching training, Martin, was at a Bible college, but it was relatively small and had a number of different pastors involved with it. And they were probably much more personally involved in your life and in training you to pastor and preach and minister than probably the people involved in my life were. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I think there's strengths and weaknesses on both sides, but I think I think there's a real strength in, in being able to walk alongside someone with your life and their life, again, as Brother Brodnack said, and just learn from them. And if you'll just allow me to get a little preachy here toward really two groups of people, one that might be listening, and I'm going to guess if you're this type of person, you probably don't listen to a podcast like this anyways, but just in case, you know, be willing to be discipled and, you know, you got to make a decision that you got to open up. And, you know, if, if you don't, if you don't do that, especially men have a more difficult time opening up and you should seek out your pastor or some godly man, in your church and be discipled. And then we've got to be willing to open up, you know, and, you know, if there's anyone listening that doesn't have someone mentoring and, impacting their life. Good grief. I, uh, I'm not the world's best preacher in the world or best pastor, but man, I'd love to, I'd love to invest in someone's life and use my time that way. Give me a call. Um, you know, in other words, I think this platform and what we're doing is an opportunity to encourage people, Hey, get disciple, you know, open up yourself to do that. And then, then be willing to be opened up. Takes humility on the part of the teacher, um, because they're going to rummage around in your life and ask you all kinds of uncomfortable questions if you do it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It takes humility on the part of the disciple. Is that a word um, of the mentee? Yes. It takes humility on their part to say, "Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what my concerns are. Here's what I'm. Here's what I don't know." Yep. So, I and I mean that um, to the extent. I mean, give me a, my my phone number is four one seven 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 three nine eight four three. Um, I don't care sharing that on our podcast. I don't think I'm, I'm doxing myself there. So to I started to say, that's, that's, but, that's a self dox. <laughs> yeah. yeah be, and I'm fine with that. I don't, I don't mind my number being out there because, um, you know, young people, and, and I, I will say it amazes me. You know, I live in a, in a town where there's a Bible college and we've had a few students come from BBC to our church and the few that have, I've, I've been able to have some impact on their life that mm-hmm. kind of shocks me, but I'm glad I was able to do that because young men need somebody that's, that's experienced and they're willing to help them. And man, we need, yeah. I needed that good grief. If, if I didn't have pastor Brian Tannis in my life, I don't, I mean, there isn't a day where I don't hear his voice echoing in my head. Yeah. So yeah. usually it's shut up. Brudneck is the words I hear in my head. Cause he said that a lot, which that's a shock to everybody, but you should listen. Um, you should. Yes, listen. I should listen to that little, little voice. Definitely. Well, it takes a, it, it takes courage as well, doesn't it? Because uh, you, you've got to believe that you have something worth passing on. Not that you're teaching yourself. You know, we we don't have disciples. Christ has disciples. Oh, that's um, good. But, that's good. you know, Stephen talked about, you know, how do I disciple someone older than myself? Well, what did Paul say? Let no man despise their youth. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Timothy had so to face on, the same question. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So be courageous, Stephen. You can do it. We believe in you. All right. God has not given me a spirit of fear. Here I come, people. Get ready. And the other folks. thing here, Brother Russ, in your situation is if you ever have somebody needs disciple, just give them Steve Brednack's phone number. There you go. He'll take care of it for you. <laughs> I've already I've already just, given it. It's there. Just farm it out. Just, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I have a really good brother in Springfield, Missouri, who's excellent at this specific question. Give him a call. Yeah, there you go. I'll, I'll be getting calls from all those um, that church member. Um, you yeah. know, well, yeah. you know, yeah. hey, there's not a bad idea. You know, the reality is though that that we can also we can as pastors we can also try to connect people in our congregation to the good of their of their edification. You know, to the benefit of their faith. And that's that's really what I want to do. I want to set a standard of cons- of consistency, maybe not of quantity. And I want to give other people opportunity within our body to do the things that they that God can do in them. I mean, God can use any church member that's growing in the Lord and that is right with God to help and disciple somebody else to that end as well. And like Tom said, a lot of life experience needs to be paired up there. You know, someone going through something needs to go through someone, go to someone who's been through the same thing or similar thing. And um, I'm seeing some of that happen in our church right now as well. And that encourages me. I think sometimes we pastors think the only people that God sends to a church to help them is the pastor. Mm-hmm. Which is not true. Right. It's a body. So if God Amen. knows what that body needs and he knows it needs a hand, and I'm not, as a pastor, I'm not the hand. I happen to be the mouth, you know, to maybe stretch it too far. I but he'll send beard. somebody. Yes, I'm the beard. He'll send somebody who who has what that person needs or has what the church needs or something. He, God is so good, not just about pairing pastors and churches. I mean, I just wrote a book about that. But he's so good at sending members to those churches who can minister to the people in them. Yeah. And when you talk about discipleship in my life, I think of my mom, you know, she got saved shortly after my father and her got a divorce and our church secretary, Mrs. Judy Pittman, just poured into my mom. Normally when my mom was on the phone, it's like, who are you talking to mom? And she'd say, Mrs. Pittman and, <laughs> and uh, Mrs. Pittman poured into her life. I'm going to say Mrs. Pittman was probably 20 plus years older than my mom and just a great influence and uh, a godly example and someone to talk to. And, and that's it. That is important because we have questions and we, we should be able to ask them and be helped through them. Steve, you said earlier something so powerful, and I just want to reiterate it that hopefully it can be an encouragement to somebody that if, if God has brought you through something and taught you something, um, don't be afraid to use that for his glory, to help somebody, to to encourage somebody. You know, one of the things I was telling my church here just recently in a sermon was that um, that term brotherly kindness in the Bible is Philadelphia. It's a, it's a friendship or it's a love based on a like or friendship. So, you know, sometimes we have heard preachers say, well, you got to love everyone, but you don't have to like them. False. Um, we are called to do even more than just say, well, I love you as a brother, whatever. We, we've, got some, we've got some work to do. However, along those lines, that has an attitude that has to take place in the church. And what that attitude is, is it's a mutual love for one another. Think of all the one another's in the Bible. Many of them are based 
on things that Jesus taught us. Jesus admonished the people and then we're commanded also to admonish one another. Jesus cared for people. We're called to care for one another that we might have the same care of the body and so on and so forth. And so really you look at Christ's model there and you have to live that uh, in discipleship. It's more than just a 15 week series. It's more than just a, a, um, a class that you take at church. I'm okay. And I'm good with that approach because I think that, I think that's, that kind of cultivates the mentality of discipleship. But if you're someone who God has given you help in an area, God has brought you through something, don't be afraid to go to another and to encourage them with that Amen. and to do it independent of a, of a church service. I mean, my goodness, do it throughout the week, send a card, send a note and admonish one another and become someone who encourages your brother or sister in Christ. It's been a good conversation. It's been encouraging to me. I've, you guys have encouraged me today. You've taught me some things. I've got things written down here. Um, I think we can uh, conclude the podcast today and we'd like to do so with a letter by Martin Wickens. Dear Church, Jesus commanded us to go, teach, baptize, and continue to teach. We're familiar with the Great Commission, or at least we like to think we are. We've heard it said that Jesus' last command should be our first concern, but how often do we stop short of complete obedience? We teach, we baptize, we then go and teach some others. But what happened to teaching all things that God has given to us in his word to those who have recently trusted Christ? Discipleship is as vital as evangelism. Evangelism should lead to discipleship, and discipleship should in turn lead to evangelism. If we neglect one, then both will ultimately fail. Biblical discipleship is not simply preaching. It is not just a 10-week course, neither is it merely education and basic Bible information. Biblical discipleship is a life-on-life -life investment. It is intensely relational. It is risky as we face hurt and disappointment. But it is vital to our mission. Discipleship requires the right philosophy of ministry. It requires humility. It is both strategic and organic. Each mature believer should seek to invest their life in someone else's, and each believer at every stage of growth should seek to have someone investing in them. Men and women and every age group should know the privilege of being invested in and the responsibility of investing in others. Every member of the body of Christ should endeavor to do their part in the ongoing cycle of discipleship. We must always remember that we do not have disciples. Jesus has disciples. We should live in such a way that with Paul, we can say, follow me as I follow Christ. But ultimately, our goal is to develop followers of Jesus. We must long to point others to him, just as John did, and be willing to be forgotten by them as they look to our Savior. May we follow Paul's command and aim for generational discipleship, where those we teach will commit God's word to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Your fellow disciples, Martin, Steve, Tom, and Stephen. <music>